This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. That was a good shout. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord of Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are, we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us to be in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kind he has showered his kindness on us along with all the wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is his plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Amen, amen. Come on, give God a hand. Thank you, Ryan. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here today. My lovely wife would greet you, but they've all slipped out. Why? Because we're marrying off a daughter next week. So they're out planning all the plans. So, but thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Uh, I've been praying all week. We just finished a series called People. And I've just been praying about where we ought to go uh, between now and Christmas. And I was chatting with Robin on our date night. We were talking about it. And I landed on this. Who am I? And so for the next about eight weeks, up until Christmas, I want to talk to you about our lives, our personal lives, in relationship to Jesus Christ. In the year 2010, I got on an airplane in Atlanta, and I flew to Tulsa, Oklahoma. My uh, heart in that time was I wanted to uh, finish my doctoral degree. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to get smart and be smart, and so... I invested money, I flew out, and I'm sitting with a cohort of other people who want to put letters behind their name to be smart. And so I'm sitting down. Hopefully that's going to be my path of where I'm headed. And I felt really good about it. And then I realized how much money it cost. Come on, somebody. And uh, I decided I would rather be uh, debt-free and dumb rather than rich and in debt and smart and in debt. So uh, I got out there and I went through the class and was eight hours a day for a week, so it was a one-week intensive course, and you went through a bunch of them. So I started out, my first week there, we sat in a class of about 12 people, and I was, oh man, my heart was just happy, like, man, this is a dream of mine. I've always, I've always wanted to have all the little letters behind my name, and all the degrees on the wall, and, and so the professor stood up, and he said, well, let's do this. Let's just go around and introduce ourselves to each other. Well, that's pretty easy. I thought, wow, it's not as hard as I thought this was going to be. So they went around the room. They got to me, and I said, I'm Mark. I'm married to Robin. I have four daughters. I pastor a church in Georgia, and I love bluegrass music and guitars. Everybody claps for me, and we go around the room, and we're all finished. We ended with the last person, and we're back to the professor. And he says, oh, great. This time, I want you to introduce yourself again. And I'm thinking, oh. Harder than I thought. 
He said, this time you cannot introduce yourself with your name, where you live, who you're kin to, or what you do. So they all went around and my little brain's like, all right, well, wait a minute. I can't say my name or what I do or where I live. And so I'm just like, I don't know, how am I going to do this? So it got to me and I was like, uh, I'm 212 pounds. I love Mexican food. And, uh, and that's all I could come up with. But everybody clapped, went around the room. And so he came around the room again and he said, all right, we're going to introduce ourselves again. Except this time you cannot say your name or what you do or who you're kin to or what you love or what your talents are. But you have to tell us about yourself. And I was just lost. Like, I, I don't even, how do, how do I tell you about myself if I can't give you all the things I'm good at and all my likes and dislikes and my talents and my hobbies and my, my life story? Well, the end result of the morning was that they were bringing us to a place to strip us of everything that we had ever been told we were and thought we were and wished we were and wanted to be and leveled it to the playing field that the way we all introduced ourselves around the table is, Hi, I'm a human. Before I'm a girl, before I'm a boy, before I'm a doctor, before I'm a guitar player, a bluegrass, a father, a husband, before I pastor a church, they stripped all the labels of life away and they just laid it at the feet that we're just human. I was thinking back to that time this week because uh, it was touching to me because I had spent my whole life trying to get those things, to get the degrees, to fill them up on the walls, to be able to have all of the certificates and all of the, how hard I had worked in life. To have the guitars that I always dreamed that I would have, to have the life I always wanted, to have the house that I always wanted for Robin and the girls, to, and then to be sitting there in 2010 thinking, the base of life is we're just all human, which is true now. Everybody in the room is now on a level playing field. We're just humans. Which is really romantic that we're just all humans. The problem is, is that our humanity begins to be defined before we're ever born. Nobody asked you, do you want to come on this planet? Nobody, nobody took a poll, did you want to come? Did you want to be born? Nobody asked you if you wanted to be born. Before you're even out, we're already labeling you. Before you ever even come out of your mom's womb and she starts getting a little belly, we're all like, oh, you're pregnant. She goes, yes, I'm pregnant. Boy or girl? It's a little girl. You haven't even gotten here yet, but we've already taken you from a human and we've put one more little label on you. You're a girl and you're not even here yet, but, but we've already got you in our box of what girls need to be. And then the next is very clear. Well, what are you going to name her? Do you have a name yet? And we go, oh, of course we got a name. We're going to name her after her grandmother. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love the name Eloise. You're going to name her after her grandmother. Oh, I can't wait. Before you even get here, nobody asked you if you wanted to come. Nobody asked you if you liked the name Eloise. And nobody asked you if you even wanted to be a girl. You just get pushed out onto a planet. And your baby Eloise, the girl, you still don't even know it yet. You don't even know you're a girl yet. We all know. We all call you Eloise. You don't even know that's your name because you can't even formulate language yet. And so here you begin to grow up as little Eloise, but nobody really gave you the option of where to be born. Nobody told you that you were going to be born in a family whose daddy would molest you at age eight. Nobody told you that your father would leave your mother because she would find out he was addicted to porn and leave you. And now your little baby Eloise with, with some real pain in your life because you got molested by your father, but your father left your mother and you grew up without a dad now, but you're really, you don't even like men anymore because you're so angry at men and your mother's alone and feels depressed and so now you're living in a depressed home. Nobody asked you for that. Now you're depressed. Now you feel like your life doesn't matter and you've got all these wounds and all these hurts and you're not even past eight years old yet. You haven't even got time to enjoy life yet, but you've been defined. You heard your father speak words. You heard your dad say, go to your room. I'm just sick of you. You're always getting on my nerves. Just go in your room and get to your room. Hand me your phone. Take your phone. Just go sit in there until you figure it out. Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? 
I don't even know why we had you. I can't believe you can't even know how to pass this test. Before you even get a chance to become an adult, you've already been defined. Psychology says before you're 10 years old, before you're 10, 90% of your life is already figured out with who you will be before you're 10 years old. Because of the hurts, because of the words, because of the stories, because of the environment. Oh, the funny thing about all this is you get shaped genetically. You don't even get to pick genetically. What color will you be? What color will your hair be? What color eyes will you have? Big breasts, small breasts, big hips, little hips, big muscles, little muscles. Will you have a big belly and carry your weight here? Or will you carry your weight here in your chin? Will you have a crooked eye, a straight eye? Will your feet go out like this? You don't even get to pick any of that. Will you have knock knees, pigeon-toed, big knees? You don't get to pick any of it. It's called genetics. You're just born with it. You come in the world, and, and but we label that genetic. We label you as a special needs if you have special needs. We label you as a slow learner if you're a slow learner. Genetically, you inherit something, and, and well, we'll make special concessions for you now. And now we didn't even ask you if you wanted to be born that way. So before you really even get to pick a thing, you, you didn't get to pick your name, your gender, your genetics, your color, nothing. You just popped out. You didn't get to choose mom and dad. It was chosen for you before you even got here. You didn't even get to choose that your family would go haywire and everything would fall apart. And you always wish you could have a dad that was never there because your dad was never there. And, but you wish you could just have some dad that would be there for you. But your dad died before you were even born. So all of this stuff begins to stick on to us because we were just a human, but now we're not a human. We're, we're a human with identity crisis and a human with issues and a human with hurts and a human with backstories and a human with walls. And a, oh, it just it gets worse, and we're not even 10 years old yet. We're born to it. It doesn't even seem fair so because it doesn't seem fair, I become a victim. It's not fair. I, I didn't get the education. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. My family was poor. I didn't have all the opportunities. So maybe the Republicans or the Democrats can fix it all. And I can finally have these opportunities because life has dealt me a raw end of the deal. And, and, I, and I, I, I just want to be, but I can't be. But, and so I, I seek men. I seek marriage. I seek addictions. I seek all the things to... Because now I'm not just a human, I'm a human that has a story, a human that has experiences, a human with hurts, a human with failures, a human with anxieties and fears and disappointments and depressions. And by the time I'm 14, I, I don't even want to live. 12 and 13 year olds committing suicide because something went awry in their life. They got the raw end of the stick. We got left by a boyfriend at 12. They killed themselves at 13. It's this. It's who am I? It's not even a joke. We just look at our, our world right now in our own country of America. There's this huge identity crisis. Such a huge identi identity crisis. We have 152 different pronouns for you to pick to try to find who you are because you're not a girl, you're not a boy, you're not bi, you're not non-binary, you're a Z, this, Zos, this, 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 that, this. As people grasp to try to find the thing that would fill the void of the hurts that they're in because I can't be a male because it's so unfair because I was born and I became a male before anybody ever asked me if I wanted to be a male and I don't want to be a male. I feel so female and I got the raw end of the stick that I didn't even ask to be born on this God-forsaken planet and my parents named me Billy. I didn't want to be a Billy. I wanted to be a Betty. I didn't want to be a boy. I wanted to be a girl and, and it's just ugh, so confusing. So I got to get all my pronouns and you're going to be they, them, rather he, her, because I don't want to be a he, her. I just want to be a they, them. I don't even want to be in that category. And we watch it, some of us watch it and go, what's going on? It seems so confusing. We can't even introduce ourselves as, hey, I'm Mark and uh, I'm a boy. You, it's almost like if you even assume I'm a boy, then you're wrong. And if I assume you're a girl, I'm wrong. And if you assume I'm a he, him, you're wrong. And if I assume you're a her, she, I'm wrong. And now it's just overwhelmingly confusing. And who's right and who's wrong? Is the boy really a girl or a girl? How did it go bad? Did it go bad? Is it a genetic problem? Is it a mental problem? Is it an environmental problem? Because now we have to say, not only does genetics make me who I am, my environment shapes me. What my parents said to me when I was growing up, the words I never heard, you're loved. The words I never heard, that you're valuable. And now I'm a 
I'm a self-inflicted narcissist who craves attention because I never got it as a kid. And again, I'm not even past 10 years old yet. We, we can't even begin to factor how difficult it gets when two humans who've been so identified with hurts and failures and walls and words and religion and they come together and go, hey, I got a great idea, let's get married. And we get married and put a ring on our finger and we say the I do's and then that's going to cure it all and it doesn't, it just makes it worse. Because when two people marry and try to become one, but they don't even know who they are singularly, and then they try to become one singularly, it just is a royal mess. Here's where it gets really fun. It gets really fun when Christians step in the mix and try to fix it all. Because we step in and say, well, that's why you need Jesus. You need Jesus because you're so broken and you're messed up and you're chaotic and all you need is Jesus. You will just get Jesus, all your woes and sorrows will go away. And people are like, yeah, okay, man, what do you mean by that? And so let's read it because I picked this chapter because I think this chapter starts out with something that I believe is just hurts my brain to think about it. So I've tried to go, how do I talk about who I am and who you are in a, in a way that just is, makes sense, but as I tried to do it, it just... It makes my head hurt. I'm like, ah, geez, so hard. So I'm kind of going through the journey with you. We're going to do about eight weeks till Christmas, but this is what frustrated me. I told Robin on a date Friday night, I said, you know what frustrates me? She says, why? I read this scripture. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ even before... He made the world God love us and chose us in yellow, in Christ, in Christ. And I said to Robin, I said, you know what frustrates me? I said, it frustrates me that Christians just use this phrase so flippantly. And I've heard it my whole life. I don't even know what it means. Because they'll say, oh, you got a problem, a marriage problem. Well, you just need to know who you are in Christ. If you just know who you are in Christ, as if that's just a check mark that fixes everything. Well, my marriage is broken. Well, I'll tell you the problem. You just need to know who you are in Christ. I just can't lose weight. Well, the problem is not your eating. Your problem is you need to know who you are in Christ. Once you know who you are in Christ, it fixes everything. Dad, I'm just really struggling with my identity. I'm really struggling with life. I don't know my purpose. Problem, son, is you just don't know who you are in Christ because if you knew who you are in Christ, you wouldn't be struggling with any of this stuff. And it's like, ah, oh, so I don't get it. I don't understand. I just flunked biology, and the reason I flunked biology is I don't know who I am in Christ. Are you kidding me? Is that how shallow this religion is of ours? It, my marriage is broken, but the reason she's about to leave me is we don't know who we are in Christ. Is it this simple? Is that the cure-all? Is, is that the miracle wonder drug of all ills and problems? Just know who you are in Christ? What does that even mean, who I am in Christ? Does that mean I read the Bible more? Do I pray more? Do I speak in tongues? Do I get a, a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? Because when I don't feel like I'm in Christ, it reminds me that I might be. And it becomes so confusing. I've been uh, saved, uh, saved. I, I prayed a prayer at age five. I've been in it a long time. I'm 56, so 51 years of Jesus and Bible and literally, this is funny, you just, I don't know where you're here, I'm sitting here talking to you. I literally told Rob, I said, I'm, I'm 56, I don't even know what it means. Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just, what does it mean to be in Christ? Because if it is what we say it is, then why are there so many hurting people? If, we, if it is what we say it is, then why so many broken families? Why so much depression? Why, why so many suicidal thoughts? Why so much gender confusion? If in Christ fixes everything, then... <clears throat> Something's wrong. And so it made me really just this week begin to dig and pray and go, God, is this the direction you want me to take the church? You want me to talk about something I really don't even know what I'm talking about? I don't mind. I'll study. I'll, I'll, I'll stretch my head to think it through. And Ephesians 1 jumped up. And so this was my thought that came to me when I read that. What does it mean for my humanity to be in Christ? My humanity, my hurts, my stories, my successes, my failures, my walls that I've put up, all the things that I've talked about that stick to us, the identities, the labels, the memories, the, the scars that I bear. And then I say, how does, what happens when that humanity of Mark meets Christ? 
And I'll tell you, humanity is powerful. Don't ever think that the humanity you've not been given is so powerful. It's so powerful that we realize once it's broken, sometimes it is a whirlwind to get it back fixed. The words that are spoken over you, the words that you hear, the, the advice you've been given, the stories, the TV, the music, the everything that just begins to shape the, the girl you've become, the boy you've become, the man you will become. It was in the sixth grade. I, I tell this often, but it shows you the power of psychology. There was this gorgeous girl in the sixth grade. Her name was Stacy. Oh, so pretty. Like God made her on Friday. She was just perfect. It's like all the parts he had left over, it was just Stacy, little sixth grade Stacy, gorgeous. And little Mark, who was made Monday evening. With hurry up, we got a close shop. And they're just putting parts on me. A crooked eyeball, a big forehead, put all the fat in my belly because they were in a hurry. Decides I'm going to be really bold. And oh, I'm going to be so bold, man. Just, Jeff, that's how bold I am. Jeff, you go ask her if she'll like me. <laughs> right? Because you know you're bold when you get a friend to go do the dirty deed for you. Hey, Jeff, bro, I need you to go ask Stacy if she'll be my girlfriend. He goes, really? I said, yeah, just walk over and tell her that me, Mark the trombone player, because I played trombone. Come on, girls. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't play football, baseball, trombone. <laughs> but I thought maybe, why not? Go big, go big, go home. I, I felt faith rise up in me. You, anything you believe, God will do. So I shot it out there through Jeff. Jeff came back and said, you want to know what she said? I said, dude, of course. Lay it on me. Cannot wait to hear that Stacy wants to be my girlfriend. We called it Go Steady back then. I don't even know what that means. But he said, I don't think you do want to know. <laughs> I wish I would have said, you're right. I don't want to know. Because when he said it, I'm 56. I remember it as if it was yesterday. I can show you the wall I was hiding behind. At Diskew Middle School in Gadsden, Alabama, on the bottom floor next to the band room, when Jeff introduces to me Stacy's love for me by saying, Mark, she said she would rather like doo-doo than you. <laughs> what? Instantaneous hate for Stacy. I no longer thought she was beautiful. And if she's listening to this now, I hope you found your doo-doo. <laughs> oh. oh, it was powerful. Those words, I mean, it's a joke now, right? I'm 56. Robin even tells me, Mark, get over it. You were in the sixth grade. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you're pretty. I just want to go find Stacy and take Robin with me and go, huh? She liked doo-doo. <laughs> While I show my bad boy tattoo off. <laughs> oh, but sixth grade, words hurt. Because from hearing that, I never wanted to be bold again. I never wanted to ever go ask a girl anything because it hurts too bad. Sixth grade. Who would ever thought that something in the sixth grade could have such power, but, but our humanity hears words that cut deep. It's the gifts and talents that you've been given by God that we talk about every week, but you can't use them because you've just been too hurt. Pastor hurt me. People hurt me. Christians have hurt me. Oh, I served in a church, but they just abused me. I just can't do it. I, I don't know if I'll ever go all in again. I did once. and Because it's reality. It's humanity. It's... It's the hurts of life. It's the struggles. It's... And so I stand up as a preacher and I say, well, uh, the answer to all of our problems is just learn who you are in Christ. So here's what I read that really just made my head explode as I tried to figure it out, and I'll share it with you. Next verse. Well, same verse, but different highlights. All praise be to God, the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we were united with Christ even before He made the world. 
He chose us in Christ to be holy. When I read this, I couldn't get my brain to figure it out. Because the way I always taught in Christ was, you need to know who you are in Christ. He died on Calvary for you. He gave his life for you, Mark. He forgives you of your sins. He fixes your brokenness. He heals your diseases. He, heals, he answers your prayers. He fixes your marriage. He's God. He's Jesus. He's on the cross. He died for you. He's resurrected. He's the Easter Jesus. Trust him and watch all your ills leave. Read your Bible, pray, pray in tongues, give your offerings, go to church because as you do, 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 do all these things, that's what it means to be in Christ. And yet the world is filled in the South with religious people who are reading their Bibles and giving their offerings and going to churches, but they're still broken, they're still hurt, and they're still disillusioned, and they're still depressed, and they're still anxious. And so, well, you need to get in a class or get in a group or, or tithe or give a breakthrough offering or do something. Read this book. Yeah, you'll read this book. This book will teach you how to get out of that. So I read the books. I, I give the offerings. I go to the classes. I get in a group. I go to counseling. I go to psychiatry. I, I take the medicines and then... The hurts, the abuse, I can't get, they rape me and I can't get it out of my mind. My uncle molested me and I can't get it out of my mind. And I want to serve God, but the way the last pastor treated me, I just can't get it out of my mind. I want to get married again. I just can't ever have that, that person do with me what this one did. I did get married again and now you're going to pay for what they did to me. Because I, I'm human. And, and so... The way we teach in Christ is backwards. Because the way we teach in Christ is God will fix your brokenness and God will heal your diseases and God will fix your marriage and God and God and God and He will. And if you'll just trust Him, if you'll just... Because I'm trying to get you in Christ. I'm trying to get you to look at the cross and see what He did for you. And if you look at the cross, you'll be well and you'll be fixed. And go to church and sit on a row and listen to some guy preach and talk about it. But when I highlighted the words in red... My mind just was... Because it said, even before he made the world, I was in Christ. I just don't get it, God. you got to explain it to me. Okay, Mark. Mark, you're a human, right? Yeah. you got a lot of problems, right? Yeah. Mark, what you've been thinking in Christ is, is that I'm going to love you in all of your problems, right? Of course, God. That's what people tell me, that you love me regardless. I mean, Mark, it is true. I love you regardless. I love everybody regardless. I'm God. But Mark, when I say in Christ, I'm not talking about in Christ, Mark, that's in his humanity with all of his problems. I'm talking about the Mark I knew before you were ever born. And I say, uh, yeah, I don't get that. Uh, how could you know me before I was born? I mean, the way you know me is I'm pregnant, we take a test, and then you, you can know me kind of with ultrasounds. You can't know me before I exist. That's the only way to be known is to exist. To exist is to be known. And God says, oh, before I even made the world. I chose you in me. How could you choose me if I didn't exist? Well, Mark, you didn't exist as a human being with all your problems. You existed within the realm of my divine mind. And I knew you, Shiloh, before you ever got on the planet. Before you were ever born. Before your mom ever even had a thought. I knew you would be here, Mark. I knew you would be at this place. And, and, I, and I designed it such. Here's what's weird. We know we believe this, right? I mean, if, if we baseline it down, everybody in the room believes what I just said. You just never thought about it in relation to you. That God knew you before you ever existed. Not after you were born. And here's how we know. Because Adam and Eve never existed. True or false? True. Never had they existed except in the mind of God. And God created Adam and Eve out of his divine mind, but they existed in the mind of God before he ever made them. If God can do that with the original parents, then could it be possible... That in God's divine mind, 
6,000 years removed from Adam and Eve existed a guy named Mark. There's not even a planet yet. There's not even a sun or moon or stars. There's not even a human. There's no dirt. There's no water. There's no plants. There's nothing. And God goes, yeah, so what? Well, if there's nothing, how could you know me? Because you exist here within my divine mind. Everybody. I propose to you that in Christ, knowing who I am in Christ, I'll teach you this in the weeks to come, knowing who I am in Christ is not connected to what I believe about Jesus on the cross. Who I am in Christ is what God thought about me before I ever existed. And I'll teach you how Christ comes into play. But if you think to be in Christ is just know what he did for you on the cross, that's not in Christ. In Christ is before he ever made the world. He's already thinking of you. So here's the fall. It's, it stretches it. It's, it almost seems like it's new age mysticism. If I hadn't studied enough to think it through, I would think it does sound kind of mystical, like we're sitting in the middle of the woods smoking a doobie going, hey, dude. Get this. Oh, we existed before we ever got here, man. This is awesome. Like, I, I, I bet I was a cat. <laughs> but the thought is, before you ever existed, you were already meant to be. <laughs> I can't handle it. Because now, if I'm going to debate it, it sure feels unfair. Because if you knew Mark before I ever existed and you knew the hell I was going to live in, then why would you bring me here? If I'm existing in your divine mind as Mark, then why would you put me on a planet to hear these words? If I existed before I was born, that means that you knew I was going to be born to a drug addict. You knew my father would molest me. You knew that my dad would beat my mother. You knew that my mom would commit suicide and leave me here. You knew that my parents wouldn't want me and they would give me up to be adopted. And you in your divine mind thought this was good? because humans turn back to the divine God and look at the hell and the mess and go, I blame you for that. Because you knew before that I would, you knew that I would be molested at age eight by my uncle and you let me come anyway? Because he does know all. And if he knows all and he knew me before I even existed and he saw my life before I ever was, then why would a loving God who I existed in his mind think that there would be anything grand to be born the way I was born? There can't be a God. Can't be real. And if he is real, he's not loving. He's unfair. Because I was born to alcoholics. I was born in poverty. I was born with a genetic default. I was born in sickness. I was born to parents that didn't want me. It's just... Uh. And the next verse, it gets better. Ephesians 2, salvation is not a reward for good things you've done, so we can't boast for we're God's masterpiece in Christ planned long ago. So the best I could give you an object lesson today is the divine mind of God standing in an easel What you doing? Oh, I'm just painting a masterpiece. Of what? It's a guy named Mark. Mark? Uh, there's nothing out there, man. It's just blank. Uh, how could you see? What do you see? Because I don't see anything. Yeah, no, I know. I'm painting a masterpiece of a, of a boy that they're going to name Charles Mark Evans. Oh, I'm getting a little crooked eye there. Yeah. And he's going to be born 
and uh, he's going to go through some stuff, but look at this. Hey, God, what's that spot right there? Uh, it's a scar he's going to have because somebody close to him is going to die. Well, God, what's that right there? Don't worry. I'm just, it's going to be my masterpiece. And then God draws this masterpiece before I ever existed. Before I was ever born, before Gene ever met June, before Granddaddy Evans met Grandmama Thornbuckle, and they, they hooked up Thornbuckle. Huh. <laughs> and God, God called my name before names ever existed. God, God painted me before I ever was. God knew me in the world before there ever was a world. And, and he knew everything he wanted me to be because he called it a masterpiece. In other words, there was no mistake being made here. There would have to be a mistake because I was born into the hell. Oh, I realize you're in your humanity hell, but, the, but what I have painted is a masterpiece. And then you wonder, well, how could he call it a masterpiece when it's my mess? How could he call it this wonderful thing he's painted when, when it's not being painted, it's being tainted. It's being tainted by the world and the hearts of the world. And I feel like he doesn't even love me and I feel like he doesn't exist. And it's simply because in religion we've made the whole thing about me and you. And it wasn't. It was about his faithfulness. Well, how could you call it a masterpiece when... He said, oh, I call it a masterpiece because I, I trust my faithfulness. I trust my own faithfulness. Several years ago, 2000 and I guess 8, 2005, I met with my sweet bride and we made a decision we were done with children. Three women in a house is plenty, plus a wife. I don't need any more. Four girls and me, it's plenty of estrogen and tension. We're good. No more children. Are you good, honey? She said, I'm good if you're good. I said, oh, I'm good. No more children for Paul Paul. So Paul Paul decides to go to the vet because you can get neutered there for cheap. And so I go to the vet to get neutered because all dogs and cats should be spayed and neutered because it keeps you from populating and we're done populating. So I go and I pull up and Robin said, are you sure? I said, I'm sure. You sure? She said, oh, I'm done. I said, yeah, me too. They're expensive. Remember, I have money issues. And so I pull up to go to have the surgery. The problem is, my daughter Stella, would, would you pull up a picture of Stella? My daughter Stella, ooh, this makes me tear up. My daughter Stella existed in the mind of God, even though she wasn't in my mind. And God's got to get Stella here. But jerk Mark's done having kids. What are we going to do now? And God's like, well, there he goes. Let me just erase Stella. I was wrong. Because he knows everybody. <laughs> he knows everybody. And I'm 22 feet away from her not coming. Because I don't know she exists in the eternal mind of God. She only exists to me when Robin says, I'm pregnant with what girl? Hey, what is her name going to be? Remember the story I told you? Uh, there she is. She exists now. But in this moment, I stopped and I, I did what my parents taught me to do. They said, son, if you ever have a big decision, just take a moment, pray, and ask God to direct you. So I said, God, I'm done having children, and I know you probably are too. <laughs> right? Because we like to help God out. <laughs> and, um, and I just want you to know I'm going to go in here and I'm done. But, but it, and this is my exact prayer. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not done... And just stop me. So I go in there and I sit down for pre-op and, and it's just 800 bucks, right? You can get it cheap. Hallelujah. And so I want $800, man, I'm good. I can do it. 
And so they said, well, we got to do pre-op. We'll do it in the morning at 9 o'clock. I said, I'm good, man. Let it go. He came in. He did the pre-op. And he said, you know what? He said, I, I think it would just be best if we did it in the hospital. We need to put you to sleep. There's some issues, and we need to put you to sleep. And it'll still be in, outpatient. We'll get you in, get you out. Take this code and go call the, go call the hospital. I can only imagine the angels in heaven as God is looking at this masterpiece of Stella McCravey Evans before time ever began. And Stella McCravey Evans is not even on the planet yet. He only exists in the mind of God. Robin and I don't even know her yet, but, but the father who painted a masterpiece knows her. And I pull up to go end it all. I pull up to end no more children. I can only imagine the angels going, Oh, hey God, you better do something. To her, he's about to blow it, and I can just see God just going. No, I got it. I'm good. How could you be good? He's walking. He's walking in the door. He's walking at the door. Walking in the door. Do something. It's not going to be true. You're going to be a liar, and you're not a liar. Chill out. I'm God. He's Mark. Yes, he's a little stubborn, but I got a plan. What's your plan? You know how he always freaks out about money? Oh, yeah, he does. Ooh. Watch this. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Evans, we're not going to be able to do it right here. In page, we're going to have to put you in the hospital. Here's the code. Go call the hospital. Oh, great. We'll see you at 9 o'clock in the morning. See you there. Ring, 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 ring. Uh, this is a uh, kind of hospital. I want to help you. I said, yeah, I need to have an outpatient surgery in the morning. They've already called. They've already set it up. Here's the code. I need to know how much it's going to cost. Wow. This must be a great hospital. Uh, Mr. Evans, that'll be Come again? I mean, $13,482. For that? Yes, sir. And then they told me all what I had to pay for anesthesiologists and surgery rooms. And, and I was like, uh, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, thanks. You want me to book it? Oh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> and don't you know God was like, told you. <laughs> All I had to do was make it cost too much, and I'll get Stella here. <laughs> I go home. I tell Robin, what'd they say? I said, ah, yeah, it ain't working. It is ain't no way. A month later, Robin's pregnant. <laughs> Jesus, because she was known in the mind of God. And when you're known in the mind of God, nothing can stop him. Abuse can't stop his masterpiece. Nothing can stop his masterpiece. He's that powerful. You're not here by mistake. But I was a drug addict. Yeah, but you, you weren't a mistake. But I've been married four times. I know, but you're a masterpiece. How could I be a masterpiece when I've been raped? Oh, God, I know, I know that hurts. I... But you're not a masterpiece because of what life has done to you. You're a masterpiece by what the Father has thought of you. And whatever He has painted... Ooh, here's the good part. <laughs> whatever He has painted, you can become. Whatever he has painted, you can become. And even when an old stubborn boy decides, I think I'll mess God's plan up, God's like, yeah, you won't. Nobody can mess my plan up. So it, it brought me to this thought of life. To be in Christ means to be painted and not tainted. Everybody in this room, I, I probably could promise you, everybody in this room has been tainted. We've, we've all been hurt. We've all had life go bad. We've all been disappointed. 
We've had parents disappoint us, husbands disappoint us, wives, people, friends, life, genetic issues, social issues, relational issues, and we're down here trying to be religious. We're, we're down here trying to fix everything. We're down here trying to go to church and give more money and sing songs, and nobody ever told me that before all the crap hit the fan, God had this masterpiece of a boy named Mark Evans, and, and in this most beautiful way, he birthed me on this planet. And then all he's asking me is, Mark, can you look through the pain and see yourself? Is how I see you. Yeah, but God, this person, Mark, I know that person. Nothing's shocking me here. But I'm telling you, your life is going to be a masterpiece if you can simply trust my faithfulness. I am faithful. And I said, but I don't feel like you're faithful. And he says, I know, Mark, that's the beauty of faith. It's when you trust my faithfulness rather than your experiences. You trust my faithfulness rather than your hurts and disappointments. Because I tell you, when you trust my faithfulness, by the time you leave the planet, you will be a masterpiece. It's the beauty of God. I'll teach you in the weeks ahead how this even works itself out. It's almost mathematically impossible of who has to marry who, to has to marry who, to has to move where to even get you here. And yet you existed in his mind. Here's the problem in Jeremiah. It's a really familiar passage of scripture, Jeremiah chapter 1. The Lord gave me this message. All us Christians have quoted this. I knew you before I even formed you in your mother's womb. Every Christian I know knows this verse. We post it all the time. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew what they would call you. I knew the color hair you would have. I knew if you would be big, short, skinny, or tall, or wide. I knew everything. I knew everything you would go through. I knew it all. But I so desperately loved you in my masterpiece, I wanted to get you here. And then I love verse 6 because it's probably humanity. In, I, I would say this verse is the beauty of religion. Oh, sovereign Lord, that's religion. I just can't. That's humanity. I know you are who you say you are. I, I give you that. I don't want to go to hell. I believe in Jesus. Check that box off. Yeah, bro, but I can't. Get married again is too hurtful. I, I can't trust another preacher. I, I can't let these walls down so my husband can love me. I, I, I can't trust my wife like that because my other wife, I, I just can't, I can't. Listen, I love you, I'll give you tithe money, and if you'll bless me some, I'm okay. But yeah, I can't, I can't be this masterpiece because I've, I've been too hurt. I know you saw me this way, but I don't see myself that way. I can't do it. I propose to you that much today of what we call Christianity is verse 6 of Jeremiah. Oh, sovereign Lord, that's religion. Say your prayers. Give your money. Go to church. Read your Bible. But truly, yeah, life's too hard. So you'll just struggle your whole life. You'll struggle with addictions. You'll struggle with hurts. You'll struggle with pain. And yet what I read in the Bible and where I want to take you over the next seven or eight weeks is how everybody in this room can become the masterpiece despite the mess. And learn what it means to really be in Christ. Here's the question I have for you. Has life tainted you? Is your marriage hurting today because you're tainted? Is it hard for you to have a relationship because you've been hurt? Has your husband said something that's hurt your feelings and it's just hard to get over it? Has a preacher, has a loved one, has a friend, has a boss, has, a, has life tainted you? I would say in the room the answer to all of us is yes. We've hit walls, we've, we've gone through potholes, we've been hurt, we've had things go bad, we've all been tainted. But the beauty of life is you can either choose to live tainted or you can choose to live painted. Tainted is I just keep living life, doing the religious things, hoping I can have some semblance of peace. Painted in Christ is to look back into the past of eternal and go, God saw me for who I needed to be. I'm going to become that. 
And everything he painted of Mark Evans, I will become. I don't care how many scars I hit. I don't care what people come my way. If he painted it and he's faithful, nothing on this planet will ever separate me from the love of Christ. No tribulation, no despair, no persecution, nothing, no sword, no peril will ever be able to separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus before I ever got here. For I am persuaded that I will overcome. And I think that is the starting doorway to what it means to be in Christ. You existed in his mind before life ever messed you up. And I'm here to give you good news. Your mess is still a masterpiece. In his mind. In your reality, mess. In his mind, masterpiece. Let's connect the dots for the future. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then we put him on the cross. That Jesus. Do you know Christ existed before? Before he was ever in the flesh, he was already God the Word. Let this mind, Mark, be in you that existed in the mind of God before you ever got messed up. I'll try to teach you how to get there. Stand up with me, if you will. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.